morning, everyone. It's uh, good to be here with you. If uh, you don't know who I am, I'm Mark, and uh, um, the lead pastor here, and I uh, get to just spend a little bit of time with you guys today. Uh, we are in the middle of a series, actually we're 10 weeks into a series where I think this is officially the longest series uh, we have ever done at this point, so, and there's several weeks left, so hope, hopefully you're being challenged by this series that... Uh, uh, you're uh, maybe even enjoying this series. Uh, if you're not, you have about four or five more weeks of it, and then we'll be on to something else, so don't worry about it. In the scheme of things, it's not that bad. Uh, but we're looking at, it's really a, a community-based series, uh, really looking at, at what is the makeup of a healthy, biblically functioning church. And uh, we've kind of put it all together and saying together we can, and each week we've been kind of filling in the blank. And up to this point, the vast majority of the 10 weeks has really just been dealing with conflict, right? I mean, we've been talking about, you know, how to hold people accountable, how to tell people the truth, how to tell people the whole truth, the last 10%. Uh, you know, all of these kind of uh, different things. And uh, today and for the rest of the series, hopefully we're going to be able to turn the corner a little bit and, and really talking about uh, larger kind of picture t- type stuff, uh, more on the, on the positive side of how do we really invest in one another. Now, today we're going to be talking about kind of a complex idea. And uh, to be honest with you, it, you know, the, the 30 minutes that, that we have together, it's going to be a lot of information and just kind of, uh, it's going to be fall more on kind of like the teaching end of it. Uh, maybe it's really going to challenge some preconceived notions that you have of the church and of pastors and, and things like that. But hopefully uh, you'll be able to kind of weather the next 30 minutes and then hopefully uh, be able to do the going deeper later on this week and maybe uh, join with one of your growth groups and really be able to continue this conversation. Now, but to start start out, I just uh, wanted to, today is Together We Can uh, Make Room for One More. And maybe you hear that phrase and and you're like, okay, this is kind of a, a... you know, an evangelism type talk, which in, in a sense it is. Everything that we do should be proclaiming the glory of Christ. But it's really how we, how we do church together. Now, let me ask you a question. Uh, what would you say is the ideal size church? Like what's a, what's a good size church? This is where you speak to me. I ask a question. It's not 500. Okay, I'll just, uh, some people would think a smaller church, you know, 50, that can be a really healthy church. Some people would say, or one person would say 500 uh, would be, a, you know, a good-sized church. Some people would say 5,000 would be a healthy church, you know, uh, different things like that. Now, that's one question. And then the other question is, what is the, the role of a pastor? 
Support and teaching. Teach and evangelize. Leader. Shepherd. Administrator. Counsel. Different kinds of things like that. Uh, in, the, in the traditional uh, uh, viewpoint of the church, uh, you could also you know, add different things like uh, uh, you know, the pastor is meant to, to visit everybody. I'll be over about six tonight, by the way. Uh, I like Kobe beef. Uh, you know, go, you know, visitation in the homes, you know, to go to, go to all the kids, every kid's, you know, special event in recital, uh, you know, marry and bury everyone, and, uh, you know, probably not on the same day, but it's possible, you know, kind of different things like that. Basically, the, the pastor is the, the centralized hub of everything that happens in the church. Now, today we're going to be really kind of looking at that and, and say, you know what, is that, is that a traditional American view of who the pastor is? Or is that the biblical understanding? Is, that, is, is the biblical understanding is, is a pastor or a group of professional, you know, vocational pastors, are they the, the centralized hub of the church? Now, this is a more practical, what we're talking about. But again, this is kind of just like a real nuts and bolts today. You know, we're not talking about theologically, yes, Jesus Christ is the, is the center of our church, and, uh, and that's what about. But, but in the daily, you know, the day-to-day, you know, operations, you know, what, what's going on? How, how do we interact with, with one another? And, and who's responsible for, for the discipleship? And who's responsible for, for the visitation? And who's responsible for, you know, checking up on people if, you know, you know they're spiritually hurt or, or falling away or things like that? Where does it all come down to and, and and who is responsible in the local church now in the traditional view and 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 uh is it's that is the lead pastor's responsibility uh, you know that that you know what the lead pastor is meant to be friends with everybody that that is meant to be connected with everybody is meant to be the the counselor the discipler the you know the all of these kinds of different things and Many years ago, I was kind of like challenged on this, this idea, this idea of, of, you know what, how many people can, can you really disciple? Like, how many people can you really have an intimate relationship and really effectively uh, breathe life into? Or really, what is your capacity? And, and just kind of having this kind of question uh, in, in my mind or, or throwing it out there. And we started going through kind of a process looking at, at, at Jesus and, and God, how he, you know, at his time here on earth, how did he do it? Now, one, one you know, we all know the uh, John three sixteen for God so loved the world that he sent his only son 
so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So right off, you know, we, we get this picture of the world in our mind. It's like, okay, if we're followers of Christ and if, you know, pastors, you know, are meant to be followers of Christ and, and they're here doing God's business, then the responsibility is everyone. Everyone, they, they got to be out there. They got to be, you know, down in Guatemala or South America or over in Africa or over in Asia or Europe or, you know, Australia or, or wherever. I'll go to Australia, by the way, if anybody wants that. But, but, you know, you have this idea. It's like, well, really, is that, is that the model that, that Jesus did? And what we start to see is if we, we go through Scripture and really look at Jesus' life, we start to see this idea of, of a tightening of concentric circles of how he did relationships. If you open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, just we have this, this one sentence that says, The Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them on ahead in pairs to all the towns and villages he planned to visit. And all of a sudden we start having maybe like a little crack in our, our preconceived notion that, you know what, maybe, maybe Jesus interacted with people in different ways. And here we have this, this key word that the Lord chose 72 other disciples, that there was, there was some intentionality to it. At first, God loved the world so much that He sent His Son. Why? So they didn't have to perish. So that they could have everlasting life. This was a, a big picture kind of thing, but when it really came down to God in flesh, Jesus Christ, that there started to be this, this tightening of the circles. And the, and the first, you know, kind of the biggest ring was this, this 72 people. Now, these 72 people, uh, he probably knew them. He, he probably, you know, knew all their names and, and maybe he knew their families and, and things like that. But when we traditionally think about the disciples, we think of what? Twelve, yeah. We think about twelve. And we think, you know, it, can we find anywhere in the Bible the name of these 72? No, we can't. We just know that, that there were these people who were out there and, and they were followers of Jesus and they were doing the work of Jesus, but, but they were kind of on the, on the outside circle of things. And it's interesting, you think about it in Jesus' ministry, you know how many times that, that the crowds just got so great and, and you look at it and you wonder, you know, he, he used to withdraw from, from crowds all the time, didn't he? He would, if crowd would come, you know, and get too much, he would get on a boat and he would kind of go out and speak from, from the water or he would, he would remove himself or in, in Matthew chapter 13 says, then leaving the crowds outside the world, the world that he loves so much, but leaving them outside Jesus went into the house, his disciples said, and we don't know if this is the 12 or part of the 72 or a mixture, 
please explain the story of the weeds in the field. All of a sudden you have this understanding that Jesus had this public ministry. But you know what? Jesus being 100% human as well as being 100% God, he faced the same kind of relational capacities that each and every one of us face. That he only had so much time. Here, Jesus and you and me, he had 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That 24-7, that's, that's all he was entrusted with. Same as us. That he had to, in, in that 24 hours, he had to sleep, he had to eat. He had to clean his uh, white togo with the blue sash which must have been very difficult uh, in, the, in that day to keep that thing so nice and fresh and blue, that, that he had to do all of these kind of things. And, and so there was different people that, that he could connect with in that time. He had to manage his days just like we have to manage our days. And as we kind of go down into the concentric circle, we see that, you know what, he, had, he came for everyone, he had these 72 people that, that he did ministry with, and then there were these 12 people that he did life with. Now, these 12 people we know that they're named. There's Simon or Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, James, Thaddeus, Simon, and Judas Iscariot. That he had these 12 people. These 12 people that he, he, he lived with, he ate with, he hung out with, that, that even they shared resources together, that this was a, a tight-knit group of people. That, that these were, were people that he was really breathing life into. But you know what? There's even one more circle. There was actually, out of these 12, there were three guys, maybe four, but three guys that he was extremely intimate with, and that was Peter, James, and John. In Luke chapter 9, verse 28, says, about eight days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John to a mountain to pray. That the, These three guys, I could imagine, were the ones who probably knew everything that was happening in, in Jesus' life. That this, these were the guys that, that Jesus would open up to and that he really breathed into. That, that they, they were knit together. And these three guys also were the ones who really, out of the 12 disciples, changed the world and took Jesus' message out. So, the question was once posed to me. All right. You the you a pastor of a church. How how many people can you touch? How many people can you disciple and meet and love and teach and all these things? You know, and what does that look like? How many people can you be intimate with? Can you can you do as well as Jesus? Son of God, can you do three? Can you be intimate with three people? 
Maybe, can, you, can you do better than Jesus? Can you do four? How about the 12? You know, Jesus, I see your 12 people, and I, I raise you one. I'm going to do 13. No, 13 is a bad number. I'm going to do 14. Yeah. How, how many people can you disciple? And in the traditional American view of, of a biblical community, you have this centralized kind of pastor figure, and he's going out and he's, he's trying to be all things to all people and being open and, and discipling and everything. And then we wonder, why do they fry? Why do lead pastors on average only last a couple of years before they're turned over and a new guy comes in to, to be pastor of everyone? You know what? If Jesus couldn't do it, then I doubt that any of us individually could do it. And what happens is, is that we have to come to a point and say, well, what does Scripture really say about, about the church? What does Scripture say about us? And you know that the Bible, the Scripture says that we are a priesthood of believers. That each and every one of us are pastors. That each and every one of us should be living out this idea of, you know what, who, is, who am I intimate with? Who am I building into the 12? Who, who am I doing ministry with, the 72? You know, how are we touching the world? And it's interesting, if you look at these three, the most intimate, you would think that the three years that they spent with Jesus, that they would have got this and they would have just stepped right out uh, into, into ministry and lived out this kind of concentric circle, you know, this, this idea of, of small to large impact. And if you open up to Acts chapter 6, this is what we see happen. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. Why? We're going to find out. Those who spoke Greek complained about those who spoke Hebrew, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve called a meeting of believers. We apostles should spend our time preaching and teaching the Word of God, not administrating the, a food program. We just get a hint. What the heck was going on here in the first century? Jesus modeled this kind of understanding of you do life intentionally with a very small group of people. You do life intimately with a larger group of people, but maybe not to the level of the three or four people. And it goes out from here. And the apostles and disciples walk straight out of that and decide that, you know what? We are the apostles and we are going to do everything. And how did that work out? Works out the same way it works out today. It just doesn't work. It ends up that believers rapidly multiplied, which was a good thing, but there was rumblings of discontent. Why was there discontent? 
because the apostles, who were the disciples, but now they're apostles, they got a, a promotion, and with their promotion, they figured that they could do everything. And the realization is that they were never intended to do everything, and it took this kind of conflict and this rumblings for them to go, you know what? Remember the guy we're meant, who was that guy? Jesus. Yeah, yeah, Jesus. How did he do it? What, how did that all work together? And he's like, well, you know what? He kind of had this concentric circle kind of idea, and he, he, he was intimate with a few and, and did life with a few more, and, and then there was others that, that did them, and they're like, maybe, maybe we should try that. Since we're like followers of Christ and all, maybe we should actually follow him in his, in his model. So that's what they did. They looked around and they found some people who were passionate about administering food and, and different types of things. And it's really incredible what happened. In verse 7, if you just drop down there, that God's message was preached in ever-widening circles. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. When they finally released and they put aside the kind of expectations that they were meant to be more than they were really ever meant to be, that things really started to happen, that that their numbers weren't just growing, but people who were becoming followers of Christ, they finally were able to live out and give the teachings, and people were hearing the good news of Jesus Christ and giving their life over to Him. And as we kind of look at these concentric circles, as we look at these kind of different things, no, go back, that, I want you to kind of identify, you know, and take a moment, and and in the going deeper, it kind of walks you through this process. But as a pastor, as one of the priests, and being in the priesthood of believers, you know, who, who are your three? Who are the people in your life that you can really pour your life out into, and they can, they can pour into you? Who are, who are the twelve? It doesn't have to be literally three or literally 12, but who are, who, are the, who are your larger group of friends? And then outside of that, who are the people that you're, that you're doing stuff with and being the tangible hand of Christ and, and in order to touch the world? And I think if you look at this, there's, there's an increasing amount of intentionality that Jesus went through, and so should we. God so loved the world that he sent his son, that, that, that that's everybody. There was no selection process, that it comes in. Jesus went out in, in uh, Luke chapter 10, and he chose 72 people. Individually chose them. And then if you remember the calling of the 12, that he actually went to their places of work and called them in. And once out of those 12, he intentionally pick these three people that he was going to be intimate with. And each level uh, that we allow people into our lives, we have to increase our level of intentionality of how we approach those relationships. Now, 
I started out asking you the question, what size is, you know, the best size local church? What, you know, what is a good size, you know, how, what size can a church be to be healthy? Is there a number too large or too small? And this is the beauty of Jesus' model here. You see, probably my three, we're all, you know, your three is going to be the same people. But the 12, there's going to be overlap. That, that your 12 may overlap with somebody else's 12 where you're doing life and doing ministry with. And you start to have this kind of idea, and that's the next slide of the two concentric circles overlapping. Now the reach is grown even far, farther, and those 12 may overlap into three. And as those start to overlap and overlap, it can, the possibility can be infinite. And before you like your eyes go cross-eyed or whatever, trying to look at that, there's actually different sized circles in there. There's larger circles, smaller circles, and all sorts of, of all of this kind of networking idea that goes on. And the reality is, is that there is no perfect sized church. There are churches of 50 people that are extremely healthy. There's churches of 50 that the church is extremely unhealthy. Same with 500. Same with 5,000. And to be part of a healthy, biblically functioning church that we need to turn the corner on the idea that, you know what? It's one person's job or, or a few people's job to be the pastor and to disciple and, and mobilize and love and, and, and uh, hold accountable everyone. Instead, we have to say, you know what? This is my responsibility. I'm the pastor here as well. I'm part of the priesthood of believers, and I, I need to be intentionally going out. And just how this kind of plays out in, in just kind of local church and in ministry is, you know what? You're three. You're three, you know, if you're married, it better be your spouse. If it's not, there's problems. I'm just telling you, there is. That, you know what, that you can have close friends. These are the kind of people who, who are going to accept you and love you unconditionally, but also tell you the truth that they're going to tell you the last 10%. And then... You know, these are people that, you know, might be like your accountability group or something like that that you can be completely vulnerable with. You're 12, and again, it's not exact numbers. This could maybe be your growth group or, or a particular ministry that you're in. That these are people that you're honest with, that you build into each other, that you know each other intimately, that you do life together. And then you're 72, that would probably be, you know, our church. That, that you know what, we, we are all followers of Christ, that, that God has called us together in this local expression of worship to Him. And we have a special relationship with one another, but... But 
It doesn't have the intimacy of the, of the 12 or the 3, and that's okay. It, it doesn't have to be that way. And then the world, our city, our, our country, our, our, our whole planet of people that, that God loves. And the only way that this works is that, that you start thinking, you know, it's, it's in our nature to say, you know what, I want to I do it all, that God loves all these people, so I, I, I want to I go and disciple this person and help this person, and I want to help do this and this and this and this, and pretty soon you're kind of like this social butterfly or ministry butterfly that, that you have all these, you know, great intentions, but you have zero impact in anybody's life because you've spread yourself out too thin. Or it can be on the complete opposite end where, you know what, you're so closed in, you don't talk to anybody. You don't do anything. And you just, you know, maybe there's one other person in your life and you just hang out with them all the time and you never impact anybody else. But there's a balance here in the middle of that where you know what, we should be able to identify a small group of people and a larger group of people and a larger group of people who we are building into and making a difference in this world. And as we do that, feelings will creep in and say, you know what, if I don't do something, if I, if I don't go and, and follow this expectation that this person has for me, it's not going to get done. And there's a question I want to ask you when you start feeling like that, when you think, oh my gosh, if I don't, it won't. Let me ask you this question. Do you love people more than God loves people? Do you care more about people than God cares about people? a legitimate question because if you care more than God then you're right you got to do it all but if your answer and this is the right answer you know what God loves so much greater than we could ever love God loves people in Frenchtown and Killarn in Tallahassee, in Florida, United States, Africa, Guatemala. He loves these people so much greater than we could ever even imagine. It is our responsibility to be faithful and intentional in the circles that He has put us. And if God has put on your heart Africa, then that's fine. But being able to say, not feel the responsibility that is on your shoulders. Because it's not. We are responsible for the relational capacity that God has given us. To be intentionally loving those who God has put around us and to encouraging one another 
And through that, the concentric circles of Christ's love will interlock and bring the love that, and the healing that we so desperately want to see for our world. Let's pray. Dear God, we just uh, come to you and so often we, we put expectations on people. We put expectations on organizations. Or we take on expectations and responsibilities that are not ours. God, let us do this well. Let us be intimate with a few and do life with a few more and do ministry with even more and trust that we can make room for one more, but not by us doing it, but by you doing it. By you using the people who you have already saved. God, let us be responsible with what you've called us and given us.